0: Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. What's up, everybody? Thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen to the show. If you are a new listener, welcome. If you're an old listener, if you're a dedicated fan that has been here since the beginning, as always, thank you so much. If you haven't already, head on over to iTunes and rate the show. Leave a comment. Let me know what you think. Maybe uh, maybe your favorite episode or even if you have a podcast guest suggestion, you can always also send that to me via email. My email is super easy. It's info at CorbinMaxi.com. But yeah, those ratings and the comments really help us out. And it is so cool to look at these podcasts, analytics, and know that there are people all around the world listening. So thank you so much. Now, uh, I, I'll tell you what, I love having this podcast because it has literally opened up so many different doors and so many different conversations for me that I never would have had if I did not have this platform. I mean, literally people around the world I've been able to talk to and interview just about their, you know, their careers and their work with animals. And, you know, this is, <laughs> I'll tell you what, today's guest is truly one of a kind. I mean, I, when I say one of a kind, I mean one of a kind. His name is Ben Mirin. And he is a sound artist. He's an educator. He's a TV personality. He has his own TV show on Nat Geo Kids and Nat Geo Wild called Wild Beats. He is a DJ and he is a current National Geographic Explorer. So this guy travels the world. Yeah, he pretty much has my dream job. Anyway, I uh, had such a good time talking to Ben because what's so cool is Ben was able to basically uh, combine two of his passions, one for music and one for wildlife, in particular birds. And he was able to find a way to make a living from that and also make a difference in this world, traveling the world. He records these sounds and then he inspires local communities, um, not only you know, with his great music, by the way. His music's great. You have to check it out. I'll put some uh, links in the 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 show notes. But not only with this music, but he gets people excited about local wildlife and the importance of basically preserving, you know, them and, you know, just and their habitats. And so I had such a good time. I really hope you enjoy my interview with Ben Mirren. Ben, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it, man.
1: Of course. My pleasure, Corbin. It's good to chat with you.
0: Yeah, I have to tell you. So I found out about you through Carl Safina, who, of course, is a famous author. I had him on my show a few weeks ago, and right after the interview, he said, you have to check out this guy, Ben. He's one of us. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what does this mean? And so I clicked on one of your TED Talks, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to have this guy on the show. <laughs> ben, You are like, I mean, I've had a lot of interesting guests on the show, but I mean, you are, first of all, a sound artist, an educator, a TV personality, a Nat Geo explorer in residence. I mean, you're a DJ, just a million things, a host of a TV show. Oh my goodness. Where do we start that's a great
1: question <laughs> um, well, i I have to always give Carl and the Safina Center a shout out because Carl is one of the earliest people to help me in my career and identify potential for my ideas that I didn't even initially see. Um, I've always been excited and ambitious about combining music with my passion for nature as a means of bringing more people into the sciences. But having someone like Carl to Talk you through ideas and and share your vision is always a really powerful thing. So I always have to um, um, give him some love, and I also have to give a shout out to National Geographic for making me a Nat Geo Explorer because much like the Safina Center, they saw something in my ideas and, and gave me opportunities to take this around the world. So now I originally started out, um, you know, recording. Animal sounds or downloading them off the internet just in Brooklyn, uh, where I'm based as a way of reconnecting with nature. But through the support of organizations like these, I've been able to travel the world and get my own sounds and bring them home and make music from that. So that's been a, that's been an amazing ride the past few years.
0: You have a dream job. Hold on. And I was and I have done a lot of research about you. I was listening actually to all your beats. I came home from Oregon. We had a three and a half hour drive. Yeah, we're like listening to the beats. It was insane. Like people (laughs) next to us, our windows were down. We're like, what's going on? This, you know, vehicle probably sounds like it has a bunch of birds in it. Um, because it does, (laughs) it does, right? You're so talented. So let's go way back because you have a dream job. You travel the world. Uh, and you record animal sounds. I mean, how, so where did you grow up? New York, I'm assuming. Is that where you grew up?
1: No, actually, I grew up outside of Boston, um, but I uh, I moved to New York a, a while ago, and um, the the inspiration for this whole combination of passions came from doing a lot of traveling throughout my life. Uh, I lived in Japan for a long time um, and you know through all of these different countries and uh, different cultures, different languages I found that a lot of things were exciting and new but in the absence of the familiar a couple things about me stayed the same. I always looked at the birds and I always made music especially with my voice and having that a bit of personal data gave me kind of a cue sheet for like all right well, you can, you can choose to go a more traditional route or you can really focus in on what these things mean to you and if there's a way to make them a part of your career, a part of your life. Um, and I always encourage other people to do the same thing, to consider what their passions are and how to apply them to the world because it really shows you a lot about yourself and your way to connect with other people. And that's, a, that's an ongoing learning process that makes this whole job twice as fun because
0: you get to learn new things on so many levels. Yeah, but I'm still trying to go back. Okay, so you grew up outside yeah, right, of Boston. right. I mean, I'm just like, okay, that sounds great, Ben, but how did you do it? Like, So did you grow up – I mean, so you love nature, I'm assuming. I mean, birds. Mm-hmm. Is that something as, as a child you remember?
1: Yeah, I've been watching birds since I was three and a half. My mom uh, bought me a book on penguins, and there's video evidence of me flipping through these bird books as a kid – And I'm talking to my grandma and telling her all about the penguin species. And she just looks at the video camera from, you know, (laughs) it's got that really grainy old school footage. And she just says, I, this is amazing. I have no explanation for this. I'm the only birder in my family, but I'm proud to say that everyone in my family now appreciates birds. Um, So my my love for nature goes way back. And birds were the gateway to everything else. But um, I've also been a beatboxer since i was about 8 or 9 um probably earlier than that but you know i have had the instrument you need to be a beatboxer obviously forever and um i've always had a knack for making sounds imitating sounds and appreciating sounds so um when i moved to new york to actually delve into the beatboxing passion more deeply because that's where it really is the biggest in in america um I ended up using beatboxing as a bridge to get back to my birds because I could not hear the birds singing outside my window. Over the sounds of the traffic, over the sounds of people shouting and honking, um, you know, New York has its own orchestra playing, and it's a mixture of anthropogenic and natural sound. And the natural sound barely survives sometimes, so you really got to listen carefully. But I used music as a bridge and a gateway to reconnect with my childhood passion for nature and bring it into the urban jungle. So I started listening to the sounds of different animals and different, um, soundscapes from, uh, jungles and coral reefs and all these different habitats around the world. And by listening, I was connecting to those places. And I said, well, I shouldn't be alone in having this experience. I want to share this experience. So I sampled them and made little beats and, uh, on, on a sampler just in my apartment and I was tapping buttons away and beatboxing while doing it and I made a YouTube video uh and National Geographic saw it and 7 months later we had a TV show <laughs> so wow it's quite a quite a ride not something yeah. I, ex- I didn't expect it to go that way but um you know this is this is why it was so fun is cuz I didn't have that plan at all it was just a natural expression of who I was and what I love. And I think that's what connected with people, I hope. And um, yeah, it means a lot to have had a chance to expand it in a new way
0: with the help of some really amazing people. Yeah, but I still like, who do you? Like, yeah. okay, hold on, I'm just trying to wrap my brain around it. Same with my listeners, like, this sounds great, but okay. Like, so when I was a kid, I loved Jack Hanna. Like, I was like, wow, what a fun job that would be. But I feel like if you were a kid, like there, there weren't, I mean, did you have anyone you looked up to? I feel like you're like a a young pioneer in this. Like I I don't remember any bird beatboxers or, no, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I, I don't think there's anybody who really does this. Um, you know, I say that um, I have been contacted by musicians who work with natural sound. And I love that because suddenly they're coming out of the woodwork. Right. But yeah, I started in a vacuum. I knew nobody who was doing this kind of thing. I just did it. Um, the idea came to me completely independently of any influences. But as soon as I started doing it, I was really fascinated by the sounds I was listening to. And then I started to find more people who, whether as musicians or scientists, could inform me in terms of my practice. But yeah, growing up, um, I was just always, always inspired by sound. Um, and because I'm a beatboxer, I can make music on the fly. And if I hear a little hook coming out of a passing car... Uh, I can just start sampling it in my head and then out loud and make some music off the cuff. So um, hearing birdsong as a form of vocal acrobatics almost that are kind of in parallel to beatboxing, but in the natural world, um, inspired me to think of this as a bridge, a way to reconnect with the birds that I've always loved and been obsessed with since I was very, very little.
0: Okay. So you, so you moved to New York city to pursue beat boxing. I mean, w- did you struggle at all? I mean, I feel like if you're in the music scene, I feel like that's a common, that's a common thing. You, you know, I mean, are you struggling? Are you going around? I mean, are you on the streets just with a, with, with a, with a jar or a hat? Like, I'm just trying to see like, how does this work? To yeah. get people- well, so
1: I had a, I came to New York city with a day job and um, it was to explore how I might be able to use, media uh to kind of bridge the gap i i um i worked for a magazine and um the job ended up really not being right for me uh and and it was just kind of a job and the real learning experience for new york was yeah like you said going in the subway with a little box and a speaker strapped around my chest and, oh um, actually busking in the street. Yeah. So what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: it's every time I see those guys in the subway, I'm, I'm always like, don't look at him. Don't look at him. Don't look. Yeah. at him!" <laughs> yeah,
1: It's brutal, man. It's brutal. Uh, no one wants to be subjected to a performance. And if you can please the subway crowd, you've won. I mean, there's no harder audience <laughs> to, to work with than a commuting audience. Um, wow. so, uh, you, you, you toughen up pretty quickly. Um, you also level up really quickly. I, some of the best beatboxers in the entire world live in New York, and I'm proud to say they're all friends of mine. Um, uh, reigning world champions, like that level. Um, and hanging out with these guys, the common thread, and and women, I should say, um, the common thread among all of us is this is a very intimate expression. Um, it's your built-in instrument. What is your soul music? What are you trying to convey to the world as, a, as an artist? And for me, I discovered um, that this, this love of birds was not going to go away. And I needed a way to reconnect with this part of myself. And the entire beatboxing community learned of my passion for nature. And they just started quizzing me on the street. We would walk around and we would be making beats, um, passing them back and forth. And then uh, they would say, "Hey Ben, which bird is that?" And I would say, "Well, which one?" And they'd say, "Oh," <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "I didn't know this was a thing that you know, impressed anybody, let alone it would interest other people." But yeah, there's there's a northern cardinal over there. There's a morning dove in that tree. We've got some house sparrows this way, and they just thought I was some kind of Jedi, <laughs> like like pointing out, <laughs> pointing out like all of these different bird sounds. Um, but it, you know, it became something that I really just loved sharing and then I started incorporating it into my live performances so I would beatbox while doing a bird song imitation um and I always say that um as kind of a lead into the next thing because I said you know these birds are so impressive why am I imitating them let me go get some let me go get some real bird songs. So the people in the clubs, the people in the beatbox houses where I hang out, uh, the people on the street that hear me perform can actually hear this stuff for real because they may not be listening. They may have their headphones in. They may kind of just, you know, have the blinders on, be locked into their phones or whatever, kind of tuning out the world. But I find that tuning into nature especially is so rewarding. Maybe I can bring nature into my uh, samples. And I, you know, I I had a few... um, pieces of electronic equipment that allow me to sample from original sound files. So I started downloading sounds, uh, cause I didn't know how to record any of this myself. And I just wanted to sample the sounds of the natural world and pick out these little moments. So I would listen with a notepad, uh, for hours on end to sometimes thousands of recordings and just write down the time codes and then go in and cut them out and clip those pieces, um, and put them into my sampler. And I would play it like a piano, made from bird sounds or or from other environments, and beatbox at the same time. And then uh, fast forward to making this YouTube video on exactly that premise, and Nat Geo finding it, and giving me a television show doing that, I, I, I don't... I feel like we skipped a step, <laughs> but yeah, that's,
0: I, that's kind of what happened. <laughs> I feel like you do. Cause I'm kind of in the same path pursuing a TV career, but man, this sounds okay. So basically, so you, <laughs> so you put this on YouTube, are you contacted directly by the network or are you contacted by a production company or do you have any representation regarding like a manager or an agent or like, how does this, you know,
1: I have representation now, but back in the day, uh, no, it was just, it was, oh. I, I said, I was sending an email to, uh, uh, a now dear friend and mentor of mine who's uh, an accomplished natural history film producer. And it was, it was actually in the, in the email signature, this video was like linked. Um, and I forgot to take it out and I was like, Oh, I, well, I, hope, he, I hope he's cool with this. Uh, I, I had written to him saying, you know, I, I think natural history storytelling is really where I want to go. Um, I'm thinking about using sound as a medium, but I'm also captivated by visuals. I wanna I kinda wanna fire on all cylinders, give people different entry points to nature, whether it's writing or visuals or sound. Um, and I'd love to learn from you and help you out on a project. And, you know, he kind of asked me to send them this email, and then he saw this video and he just wrote back uh <laughs> with a lot of a lot of uh exclamation points you know this is what you need to do uh, i'm gonna help i'm gonna help you pitch this to national geographic and i had no idea even what he was talking about so i was like do you mean the first ted talk that i did about beatbox like that doesn't seem." he said no 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 the, the beatboxing with animal sounds like that's a thing that you need to do and i said Okay. And that was the moment where I kind of had like a little victory lap in my apartment. Like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Um, yeah. and then, uh, I followed up and you know, we, I got connected to some people who, uh, were, um, kind of, uh, they, they were in a better position to work with me on the specifics of, of like, um, creating a pitch and we made a video on spec uh and i wrote and edited and even had a friend of mine film the whole thing um and then they saw the pilot the pitch i guess which is this short little video Mm -hmm. uh, and and they greenlit it um and around the same time i made my first uh expedition with national geographic to india uh because i got i got this same youtube video got picked up by the guardian um and a few other services like bbc um the new york times did a thing on it uh in their like weekend events section because i was performing at one point um and so so here i am going to india um to to do this uh in another country featuring the sounds of that country and that was Amazing. And then uh, wow. I, I got home and, and we shot this show and I ended up, um, writing the scripts, um, with the help of my co-creator and, and, and producer. Um, and I wrote all the music. I hosted the show. Uh, it, it was, I, I really enjoyed the process because, you know, as, as you well know, television brings in all these different, um, creative elements and i'm a guy who really enjoys all of those things uh so it felt like a great way to combine my my passions some of my skills and build a lot of skills and at the same time um be a teacher with a larger stage and i love teaching about this stuff as i'm sure you do because you know it's so important for people to learn about nature and find their own ways into it and if we can just provide examples of how to do that Mm. we're good like that, that we need to we need to get more people on the train. And uh, this is a great way to do that. So,
0: yeah. Well, you're great. And then, of course, you're talking about your show, Wild Beats, which is on Nat Geo Kids and also Nat Geo Wild, correct? That's right.
1: This has been going for about three and a half years now, Corbin. So, um, it's, yeah, it's kind of wild. Um, I've, I've done seven different expeditions um, that are funded by grants and, and awards and things like that. Um, and one of the most satisfying things is that I've learned more about my own craft with each expedition you know you you go to different parts of the world and of course you learn about the wildlife you learn about the local people you engage with local people because that's a huge part of conservation but you also start to learn a little bit more of what you're really doing what your core focus is and i'm getting more and more obsessed and enchanted by the science of the sounds mm-hmm. and the stories behind what i'm listening to so i just love uh Listening to nature, capturing it as beautifully as possible, and bringing it home, even as an unedited sound file—that to me is now a very rewarding artistic process. But it's also a form of gathering data. So yeah. I'm really, I'm really into that right now.
0: So Ben, is this so basically, you submit this YouTube video, you get a <laughs> show on Nat Geo. Now, is, so this is around the same time. Is this when they make you uh, National Geographic Explorer, and that's when they send you around the world to record these? Uh, to record these sounds,
1: um, so I, I, I received the title of, of explorer from National Geographic about a year after the show debuted. Because um, I had an idea, I submitted it, and they said, uh, "We're not going to fund you this time, but but send it back if if you want to continue workshopping it." They're very supportive like that. They don't have time to always give you individual feedback, but they do give you an indication of like, "Well, maybe this could go somewhere. Work on it some more, and let us know if you still want to do it." So I, um, that's when I met Carl and Carl and I really connected over the value of science communication, creative science communication. Um, he, uh, made me a Safina fellow, um, which has been one of the great honors of my early career. And, um, uh, in our working together, we, uh, crafted this plan to go to Madagascar and I developed, uh, a six week concert tour where I would go to six different forests, record in each one, make music out of the back of a Jeep, and perform for a local audience. And we did it. Uh, And as as we're gearing up to do this, I submit the proposal again to Nat Geo and say to them, look, you guys are one of, you're probably the photography organization, right? Especially for what I'm doing. I feel like someone needs to document this. If 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 you're open to it, I would love to have the support of a fellow explorer or a National Geographic photographer, somebody to capture the visuals while I'm doing this other work, because I think it could be a really interesting story. And they greenlit it. I, I received a grant from the Expeditions Council um, and became a National Geographic Explorer and grantee. Um, and so we just finished that film, actually. Um, so uh, we're about to... Uh, start distributing it and um, at the same time uh, that we've come away with a really interesting piece of work about a a really interesting project that was such an incredible learning experience Corbin I I have never done anything more challenging in my life Um, it's it's a very intense place to work Madagascar and I, I learned like like I said before by applying my passions to this place and trying to connect local people through that and understand what nature means to them i learned so much about how i can improve my work for the future so i'm so stoked to take these these learning experiences and and apply them to the next trip make it even better because that's what this is to me this is a lifelong journey and um each film is an iterative step of of this process of getting better at having an impact for for wildlife
0: Yes. And so back onto Madagascar. So why, yeah. why, why was it difficult? Was it difficult to see what's happening to their forests? Cause I know, I mean, oh my goodness, like mm-hmm. their forests are disappearing at a rapid rate. I mean, was it hard to get locals inspired about the local wildlife? Is that why it's, why it was difficult or? Uh, it, well,
1: it's difficult uh, for a lot of reasons. Madagascar is a crucible for a lot of different important challenges that we as a species face. Uh, some of them are species specific, uh, poverty, economic development, or the lack thereof. Others are unifying among all species. You have this very intense relationship between Malagasy people and their natural history. On the one hand, they're desperate. They live day to day. The majority of the country makes less than a dollar a day. It's this, it was, last I checked, the sixth poorest country in the world. You can't come into a place like that and say, you need to prioritize your wildlife. And just leave it at that. You need to be sensitive to the needs and daily realities of local people. And that's um, something that I was very receptive to. But it also was a, a steep learning curve because I, I was new to Madagascar. You know, I had done a lot of research, but uh, things there don't go always as you plan them. Um, and I think the, the biggest um, learning experience and learning curve for me was taking a year and a half worth of planning for an expedition Getting there and having every day deviate from the plan and just being flexible. And now I I, I feel like in I've, in expeditions I've done since I'm so much more chill than I used to be because I'm just I'm just comfortable <laughs> with the idea of things not working.
0: <laughs> Welcome to my life on TV, man. Yeah, exactly, like, my <laughs> exactly. live national TV. Nothing ever goes right. Like I like, don't. That's <laughs> <my> <laughs> right. Wow.
1: Um, but oh, then, you know, you also have to. um, recognize the fact that uh, the, the conservation situation in Madagascar is dire, um, and that can be an incredibly complicated issue in and of itself. Um, so I met some wonderful musicians who are featured in my film um, who write music about about the wildlife in their backyard. And um, that, to me, was the most satisfying thing as, as a wildlife DJ, being able to connect with Malagasy people through music. That was my hope. Um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, yeah, you know, these guys are struggling to make a living. Uh, they are um, supportive of local wildlife as much as they can be, but uh, you really have to do a lot of the, um, you have to do a, lo- a lot of um, collaboration to really make this successful. And so um, I hope that with the release of the film, we can um, rekindle some of those collaborations for future work together because uh, 90% of the, of the primary forest in Madagascar is gone. And people are forced through, in, through uh, very dire poverty. They are forced to slash and burn these forests. And some of these species are so hyper-localized hyper and evolved that they live only in one patch of forest. And if you cut it down, they're gone. Mm-hmm.
0: And, of course, you're talking about species that are just endemic to Madagascar. So I'm sure you mm-hmm. recorded lemurs. Yep. Uh, I mean, what other, talk about some of the other wildlife you recorded there. Did you see, um, I always get it, I always like pronounce it wrong, but did you see fosses or fuses? Fuses,
1: yeah. Uh, we fusa. did not. We we went um, from Tana, the capital, out to Andasi Bay, which is on the east coast, and then down to Wanamafan, and then swung across to the southwest. And that actually skirted around a lot of the areas where the fusa will live. Um, but we did see a tremendous diversity of primates uh lots of lemurs um and one of the things i used to plan the expedition uh was to go after the lemurs that were the most vociferous had the most interesting vocalizations in my artistic opinion uh because i was looking for sounds that were both like iconic of a place and also that inspired me to create music for live shows i was going to do um so we recorded indri indri, the largest lemur in madagascar in the largest lemur of the world uh in andasi bay we recorded ring-tailed lemurs the famous ones um down in anza and we recorded um a variety of bamboo lemurs in ranamafan uh and then some some really interesting um unique species in in the spiny forests in near Ifati and and um and the dry forests of, of uh, Zombitze and Ishalu, um, in our swing to the to the west coast, so it was it was really a tour de force. We saw a lot, um, came away with about thirteen, uh, no, um, almost eleven hundred individual recordings, um, and we're still coming through that stuff. Uh, you know, wow. I, I mentioned to you earlier, I'm really interested in the science of these recordings, and part of the reason why is we may have newly documented behaviors on record in the in these sound files um sound and listening allows you to document really specific aspects of wildlife behavior and communication especially um that may go unnoticed otherwise and so i'm trying to now educate myself more so i can listen with an informed ear uh and be able to ascertain if something is potentially a new scientific discovery um (laughs) Madagascar's kind of the wild west for that stuff you know you're discovering new stuff all the time so
0: yeah that's great okay okay so i have to ask so just like how there are better human singers you know what i mean was there like a was there like a celine dion of the (laughs) lemurs that you were like oh i mean or or was there one where you're like oh crap this guy isn't i mean you know what i mean like was there one species that you were like woo? like you would buy a front row seat to a concert too well i
1: would i would have to say the injury steals the show in andasi bay and they have this incredible bugle-like glissando. Uh, and um, it's, it's, a, it's a rising, very high-pitched call that is smooth um, and then kind of falls off. And so in, in, among lemurs, women run the show. Um, the dominant female will start the chorus and um, she'll start with a low guttural shout. And um, you'll be able to hear this in my film, when it's released once they do that the rest of their family their troop starts to chime in with these high-pitched cries and altogether the chorus will last for about two minutes and they use this vocalization behavior to lay claim to their territory which is a small patch of the forest they don't move around that much but their sound travels incredibly far and when the next troop over hears them doing that they jump right in with a chorus of their own and so suddenly these sounds sweep across the forest in a wave of proclamations of, you know, these are our trees and listen to how well we sing and how strong our voices are. You don't want to come mess with us. And so that chorus being repeated over and over again um, really just takes over the, the acoustic show in, in Andasi Bank. And I got to imagine all the other wildlife being like, all right yeah. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> just wait a minute i'll tell you in a minute bob like once once the injury are done i'll finish my story like um but the thing um. is they, they vocalize once an hour we timed it um and so up to 45 minutes out of every hour of the day from maybe 7 a.m to 5 p.m is injury vocalizing so these guys are dominating the airwaves uh and we were inspired by that uh, to get up really early in the morning, like, you know, 3.34, hike it as deep into the forest as we could, and just listen for that transition. What does the forest sound like before the injury or awake? And to capture that... <laughs> <laughs> so so this, these are the kind of stories that I'm after, you know? These yeah. these acoustic stories that capture the spirit of a place. And, it, you know, it really goes from, like, gentle rain and birds singing, and you can hear frogs and insects to just, oh, here they come. Here come the injury. Uh, So it's, yeah, it's it's quite, it's a unique soundscape.
0: Let's talk about some other places that you've been around the world. We just talked about Madagascar. Anything else that sticks out in your mind?
1: Well, I did mention India. Uh, That was my first National Geographic expedition. And uh, we got to go to the Western Ghats in the southwest part of the Indian subcontinent. So right along the coast. Uh, And we went to... Five different locations, and three of them uh, were places in the mountains where a lot of these birds live. And it was nice to work with fellow ornithologists on this one, because, of course, we all loved birds from the from the get-go. Um, but the birds in the Western Ghats, uh, over the past between five and seven million years, have evolved to occupy discrete geographical niches in that mountain range. Um, climate change over many millions of years, has created these sky islands, these isolated Shola forests at high altitudes from mountain to mountain. And there are these big valleys in between each mountain. And the birds don't like to leave the Shola forest. And so by being isolated, even just by a a few kilometers, they've actually diverged into individual species with individual songs. So you can go from one mountain to the next and you will hear unique bird vocalizations. They might look similar but you can really hear the difference. So there's a different natural orchestra playing on each mountaintop. And so as a musician, I was brought in to sample those bird songs and create a musical anthem in celebration of that natural history story and the heritage that these people all share. And we did a series of concerts in these villages near the mountaintops. And we we would have the scientists um, come on stage and talk about the birds and I would play some of my music, explain what the vocalizations meant. We had a photographer with us. And then the audience would always say, well, where can we find these birds? And we would always smile and say, right outside. <laughs> because
0: <laughs> they're, like, they're, they're, yeah.
1: they're your backyard birds. But the thing is, endemism, uh, so species living only in one place, uh, is a really special and somewhat complicated thing to communicate sometimes. Because they may be locally common, but critically endangered. And that's because habitat, like these Shola forests, is now being increasingly destroyed, both by anthropogenic or human-driven climate change, and the deterioration of the habitats but through um, agriculture especially. Um, you know, the the uh, reduction of these habitat spaces means that the birds have literally nowhere to go. Uh, they're only in these little pockets, so they may look common and not raise any alarms when you see them because it seems like they're everywhere. But as soon as you leave that mountain, you're not going to see them again. So that's the important thing to remember about these mountains is uh, each one has a unique set of birds that only live there.
0: Wow. You know, that's so educational. I mean, it really is for the community. I'm, I'm learning so much right now. You know, mm-hmm. I, now I <laughs> like, I mean, I, now I understand like why you are in that geo explore. I mean, this totally makes sense. You're combining those passions. You're bringing people together and yeah. just, you know, just raising awareness. I think it's great.
1: Well, I appreciate that Corbin uh, because I love teaching and these are the stories that inspire me to do what I do in any form, whether it's creating music, hosting television programs, or going on an expedition, I am trying to use my talents to communicate this story to as many people as I can. And it's amazing. These stories that sound opens up for you when you really listen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything, I mean, anywhere else in the world, or do you have any, like a crazy travel experience where you ever in danger <laughs> or like, I'm just like trying to, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. Very, very fair. Cause you travel the world.
1: Well, yeah, I've, uh, I haven't been in any imminent danger from wildlife. Um, I've gone to some parts of the world where you need to have your wits about you, but as long as you have a good fixer on your team, someone who can organize the expedition and knows who to talk to and who to trust, um, again, it's about working with local people. um, And I don't want the, the... human dangers of certain parts of the world to necessarily make people in the West here in the United States feel like those places are closed off. You just got to be respectful. You got to be careful and work with people you trust. Uh, So um, I've, this year has been a banner year for exploring for me. I was in the Galapagos recording finches in February and I went to the Philippines on a national geographic grant to record the sounds of coral reefs, which was quite amazing. Um, yeah, that was really interesting and then from there um, I visited the Sonoran Desert in Arizona very briefly and then went to Honduras to record a potential new species of frog um, or rather to try to record a species of frog for the first time in history because a friend of mine who studies amphibians in that part of the world has seen this frog around a lot but never heard it vocalize and so he brought me in uh, with a bunch of my different acoustic instruments to try to document vocal behavior from this species. And um, I can't say too much about that, but we've got an exciting story coming out of that trip. So, Oh,
0: good. I was going to say, was it successful, yeah. but I'll right. just leave it at that. It sounds okay. like it was, but we'll just, I guess we'll have to stay tuned.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Always, yeah. always stay tuned. Um, yeah. We, we got some great support from the Explorers Club and Biographic Magazine for that, for that uh, trip. So, um, again, it's always about finding the right outlets, too, and the right people to, to see where your idea and vision can be applied. So um, it's mm-hmm. been great to get the support for that.
0: So, Ben, is this your full-time job being a Nat Geo Explorer? Are you always traveling? Are you, like, on the road 300 days a year? Or, I mean, what is your schedule like?
1: My schedule this year has been mostly travel, yeah. Um, and it has been uh, my full-time occupation – um, for three years. But of course, that job changes all the time, Corbin. Sometimes I am a musician and I'm hustling from gig to gig. Uh, and, you know, that's familiar turf for me. Um, but I'm actually looking at a couple of different uh, ways of refreshing my skills as a scientist because I'm re- starting to realize that one of the really um, clear skills for me to acquire is how to treat this material scientifically because i i I document everything i get gps coordinates for all my sounds and it's kind of cool as a dj to say like hey this sample comes from this exact place in the world um and um at the same time i'm already gathering data right like as a musician i feel Mm -hmm. like i'm building data sets so my next step may be in some people's eyes a career change but to me it doesn't feel like that at all uh this is a constant learning process and my schedule may look different month to month, year to year. Uh, But to me, it's a continuum of combining my passions for music and nature and seeing what they empower me to do as an educator, a conservationist, a naturalist, and and maybe a scientist in the future. So that's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: That's great. You are such an interesting person. Okay. Can I ask you a couple more questions? Of course, man. Are you ready for this one? Okay. What is the the longest you've ever waited for for a particular sound? Like in the middle of the bush? Oh
1: my goodness, yeah. Uh, Well, this is like a form of hunting with no casualties. Uh, You have to stalk your quarry, and even when you see them, you may be getting a good photograph, but they may not be comfortable singing for quite a while. So I've stayed up entire nights waiting for frogs to call um oh my gosh i've i've sat stock still for two hours at a time sometimes with my microphones trained on a frog that isn't moving (laughs) just being like (laughs) how can i convince this frog to say something so i can so because the lactic acid is killing me right now (laughs) um yeah uh it's it's rigorous man um
0: but so patience is something that would be a requirement for this job. I yeah. don't have patience. I mean, I, I mean, I kind of do, but not for, for two hours looking at a frog. I mean, well, oh my goodness, Ben. I,
1: it's funny because I would say that I have very little patience for a lot of things. Like I like to have projects move quickly, but something changes in my brain when I'm recording wildlife. I get in this zone um, where suddenly everything in my periphery um, and places where my mind might wander on a typical day those things fade out of the picture and I am just locked on my subject. And I mean, I can get emotional about it because sometimes, especially with my birds, you know, that I've known since I was a three year old toddler running around in short pants saying, look at the penguin, look at the penguin. I suddenly am hearing these birds in a way I've never experienced before. I can hear the rustle of their feathers, the click clack of their claws, where they're sitting on a fence post. Um, I can hear the strain in their voice when they really punch out that song in a new and very intimate way. Um, And I feel like that connection with me and my subject, whether it's a bird or a lemur or a frog, is all that's happening. The rest of the world
0: disappears. So, wow, uh, I just got lost in that, Ben. That's great. You know, I, I have a new appreciation for Timmy the Toad that lives outside. I see him every, every night. I'm going to look at him just for awesome. two hours and say, I'm doing this for Ben. That's my that mission, is... man.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. I hope everyone tunes into nature and 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 the things you can learn from listening because yeah. it's, it's an endless source of knowledge and, and inspiration.
0: Yeah. Okay, do you have a dream sound that you would like to capture?
1: Yes, I... Um there's a piece in the New York Times that came out, I think today, um, about narwhals in the Arctic. That's high on my list.
0: Oh Um, wow.
1: I am as a as a potentially aspiring scientist, I'm really inspired by questions of how we can hear humans' impacts on wildlife. And if you look at the Arctic, acceleration of climate change under human influence has meant that these new patches of ocean are appearing. The ice is melting faster. You can hear glaciers calving and, and uh, the water rushing into the ocean. And as new channels are opened up, you hear this blend of shipping sounds. People listening to, or, or people using air guns to uh, scan the ocean floor for potential fossil fuel sources. They're using sound as um, a, a, a tool for sourcing uh natural resources, but at the same time the sounds of those engines, the sounds of those air blasts are cutting in through the depths of an arctic ocean where most of the habitat is completely cloaked in darkness. You know, light doesn't penetrate beyond the top thousand meters of the ocean, so these animals have evolved to use sound to see, and suddenly their worlds are being interrupted night and day by these anthropogenic noise sources, and so I'm really inspired and motivated to do something about this clash, this acoustic clash that's happening in the Arctic, because these sounds have been there much longer than we have. And yet now within the lifespan of even one marine mammal, you get the introduction of all these foreign noises. And I just have to wonder, what does it sound like to, to enact this really violent um, acoustic signature on the world you know are we polluting the world with sound i think we are um and it's really necessary to listen to those natural voices those wild voices so we know how they change and then we can know if they can adapt because if they can't adapt then they can't survive Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: do you have any last minute advice for someone who wants to pursue a similar career like yours. I mean, you are a, you're a, <laughs> you're a trendsetter, man. I mean, you are like, you know, you're truly one of a kind. I yeah. mean, do you have any advice for anyone who wants to, you know, follow their dreams or help out and do what you've done in regards to conservation and raising awareness?
1: I think applying your own talents to the question of conservation is a great place to start. I I'll be honest. I've I've tried a lot of different careers in in uh, the time since I went to school, and in each one, I like I mentioned before, I saw that a few things stayed the same no matter where I was in the world. I was obsessed with music and with nature, and I took that personal learning experience, that data on myself, and I came up with some creative ways to express that. And that honesty is really. That, that's been the most valuable thing for bringing people into my world. And I think if we could all feel a little more courageous about being true to our, our wacky talents, even if we don't think they have an application expressing them as, as a token of ourselves, and then using that as an instrument to explore the world um, will really reveal some key insights to how we can expand the, the conversation around conservation. You know, everybody deserves a seat at this table, a, a spot in that room, because this is about our collective future. And you don't have to be a beatboxer or a bird watcher um, or an ornithologist to do what I did. You can create your own parallel path that will be a completely different outcome from becoming a wildlife DJ like I have. You may become a creative conservationist in a whole new way, but bringing your passion to the fore and using it to help the conversation forward is a great way to start. And I think everybody has that capacity. Mm
0: -hmm. This is great. Ben, you're great. And I, like I said, you're just so successful and you're, you're really making an impact. Congratulations on all your successes. Where uh, can, where can my listeners follow you? Oh, they can
1: follow me on Instagram at Ben Mirren, Uh, also on Twitter. Um, But I, I tweet occasionally, but my Instagram is becoming Uh, more of a gallery for images of wildlife that I have recorded um, in their natural habitats. So that's been a a fun uh, experiment for me. I I just kind of revamped it at the beginning of this year. Um, And benmira.com is a great place to listen to my music and receive updates about uh, my upcoming films. I'm currently involved in the production of three different films, uh, about my work, uh, and more importantly about the sounds of these places where I've gotten to go. Um, so I just, I hope people will tune into that and, and draw some inspiration from it for how they can get involved.
0: Awesome. Well, Ben, thank you so much. I appreciate it, buddy.
1: Of course. Thank you, Corbin. It's been a pleasure chatting with you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxie.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.